Hello everyone, welcome to episode 802 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. This year we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Waves 8 Festival running Thursday, September 19th through Sunday the 22nd at Metro and Smart Bar in Chicago. Cold Waves is a celebration of Chicago's relationship with industrial music, the memory of a fallen brother, and a fundraiser for suicide prevention charities. In the summer of 2012, Chicago lost one of its most loved and respected sound engineers and musicians, Jamie Duffy. His abrupt passing had a profound effect on the electronic and metal music families he meant so much to. Cold Waves aims to shake the pillars of heaven by collecting the band, style, sounds, and attitudes that Jamie held dear and cement the sound of a Chicago institution alive and well. This year's performers include Popple Eat Itself, Nitzer Ebb, Test Department, Filter, Chemlab, Howjob, Severed Heads, Pig, and many, many more. Head to coldwaves.net for the full lineup and ticket links. This week we're chatting with Friday Metro openers Vincent and Hannah. This is Wingtips.
So Hannah and I both met in 2013 at college. Uh, <clears throat> we were both studying theater. Funny enough, she was my TA in a music theater dance class. <laughs> um, compared to my peers, I was an awful dancer, though I'm actually not that bad. But the real kicker is that in that class, I got an F. But uh, I like to think it was her doing. <laughs> well, it may have been a D because I ultimately passed the class. So the following year, we both had pretty big roles in one of Columbia's main stage shows. We both went to Columbia College. And uh, it was a production of Into the Woods. And throughout our time in rehearsals, uh, we talked about music and film a lot. And near the end, I gave her a stack of CDs to take home and listen to. It was a bunch of the usual stuff you might suspect a... Uh, a 19-year-old goth kid to listen to, as well as an EP from uh, one of my earliest influences, actually, uh, Lino Lovecraft. He's this, he's this amazing synthy dream pop artist from New Zealand, and I was obsessed. Anyway, from there, we stayed closely in touch, uh, especially after learning we only lived a few blocks from each other. At some point, I decided to augment the live wingtip show with more onstage members, and since Hannah knew how to play keyboard, it only made sense that I would ask her to play with me. Before this, I was really just experimenting as a soloist under the name Wingtips, uh, playing DIY shows here and there. At the time, I was recording a bunch of, of home demos that I wanted to play out live, but I, uh, I, needed, more, I needed more members. The first um, real, quote-unquote, real lineup of wingtips was um it was me on guitar uh henry who was our first bass player and he helped out uh with uh, some of the demo recordings and engineer work and hannah was on synth so we uh we stayed a trio for a while um maintaining a sort of uh, a diy ethos kind of doing the band for fun we did a few I'd say largely ill-fated tours on our own, and yeah, that was that. The problem was that Hannah and I were always at the mercy of our third member, whoever they may have been at that time. We changed out, you know, bassists and live guitarists, and at some point we just decided to make Wingtips a duo, and that's where we are today. Um, now we do everything together, and Hannah's also started playing guitar in the band now. And, you know, we also realized it would be a lot easier to build our team if it was just, just us at the helm. Two years later, here we are. You know, we're really privileged and grateful that we've been able to grow as we have been and to constantly have growing support. You mentioned your demo LP, but I didn't see that available anywhere. Um, yeah, so there was a point where I was releasing a lot of the stuff that I was doing by myself at home online just for like free as pay or pay what you like. I'm sure if you dig deep in the uh, in the annals of the internet, you might find stuff. But we sort of reached a point where we wanted to focus on proper releases and not to be, you know, a demo band. Um, really wanted to like start fresh because like I, like I mentioned, we come from this sort of nitty gritty background where it's sort of anything went anything goes we were like you know we should we should just try to start fresh but um we don't have anything uh any dem any more demos online but i think on discogs you might be able to find a, an old demo cd yeah i think we plan to perhaps work some of or rework some of the old songs and um i'm trying to think if any of the stuff we released online a long time ago was anything we've reworked into new things
Nothing that's been released yet. Nothing that's been released yet. Yeah, but um, we're working on it. Yeah, the stuff from back then was a. Uh, it will be more realized, I would say. There's just so so many bands and this huge resurgence in in the dark wave and the post punk bands that have come out. Um, I mean, you, it sounds like you've been doing this for a while too. Do you feel like? everyone's sort of rediscovering this is everyone just trying to escape what's going on right now and and their way to get out of it is is to head back to like the late 80s or whenever the the last wave was what what do you think it is about this kind of music that everyone seems to be rediscovering it you know well these are obviously really dark times we're in and um sometimes the only thing to do is escape and um revisit things but um i sort of really appreciate the fact that we're able to look back on you know more than three decades of alternative music and pull ideas and mutate them into something that's exciting and new and you know also reaches a wide audience you know because of having a shimmer of the past so to speak and you know some people even some bands are even making music that's deliberately in a derivative style but it's so well done and unique that it sounds modern so a lot of people talk about how you have sounds from the 80s, but that's so umbrella. Music from previous decades is just so so in-depth and wide-ranged that, you know, it's kind of hard to not derive from that. I, I think that's, you know, out of, out of, you know, any decade, the 80s is a good, is a good foundation and um, has uh, definitely the most substance, in my opinion. If you hear music that's in the vein of something that came out 30 years ago it it has it has a retro appeal but i was thinking of when when i was like seven or eight years old in in 87 88 there was no callback to music from the late 50s which would have been 30 years prior to that so i just feel like musically we we've come so far since the 50s and 60s and 70s that we can even reach back 20 30 years and it, it still seems modern and and it's not it's not too out of reach yeah i i agree and i think that there's obviously the nostalgia factor a lot of the people that grew up in the 80s and 90s are at an age now where they're able to access really uh, in-depth technology and recreate the sounds that they grew up on and that you know influence you know them as musicians or were just their musical interests for you know a lot of people are just dabbling in music that's sort of how i started out but it's you know i feel like we've we've become a bit more refined past just being music fans um and we try to create something on our own but um I think the idea that technology has played a lot of role in the progression of alternative music, especially like you know computer technology, this idea that people who have access to computers and are you know learning music software and stuff are able to replicate and um, mutate sounds and ideas and turn them into something new and can just experiment at the drop of a hat with very little uh, standing in their way and such simplicity. Um, it doesn't take much, you know? Like, you know, you can have your own studio in your bedroom nowadays. And what's even more interesting is taking your own sound and then whether or not it's derivative or not and adding to it in your own way, taking putting your own unique spin on it or... Uh, you know, even listening to bands that 
may have a derivative feel or sound and um, putting your own spin on that. But there's just so many uh, building blocks and so much uh, back and forth, like uns- unspoken communication, you know, because, you know, music is the are the ideas. At the time we're recording this, you just put a new single out, Deaf Pursuit. And it looks like you guys are, are working with Artifacts. Tell me about uh, hooking up with them for, for your next release. We're really happy that Artifact come th- has, uh, has come through and uh, seen something in us. We're very excited to be working with them. Yeah, it feels really good to be working with people who have a leg in this, as- this side of the professional world. And we're really getting our eyes open to a lot of new things. It's very, very exciting. But uh, speaking more on the album itself, um, it's the testament to roughly two years of demoing, songwriting, and recording. Uh, we finished the album early last year, but it's um, it's taken a while to process um, and get things in motion with it. Um, but uh, lyrically, it deals largely with uh, disillusionment to friendships and relationships with others in general something that we both experienced heavily in these past few years musically it's all over the place uh, but in a very like singular and streamlined fashion somehow
I've been looking through some of your your recent show history, and I saw you played with uh, Kaylin Micklove, Panic Priest, Replicant, Cockshore, Front Two Four Two, Drab Majesty. You know, all bands that are playing this year or in previous years. Even with um, Chris Connolly's David Bowie cover band, Sons of the Silent Age, which I I would love to see live, but I feel like he's only done that in the Chicago area, so I haven't gotten a chance to to catch that yet. Yeah, performing with all the artists you mentioned, it's been a truly remarkable experience. They've all been truly remarkable in their own regards. Um, Getting to meet them as well has been great. Everyone we've met has, you know, such interesting and unique personalities and we're really, really very glad to have gotten to know many of them on a more friendly level outside of the green room or stage. But yeah, it's been great. Oh, and yes, Chris does a killer David Bowie. That show is one of our favorites by far. I was watching your um, Relativity video, and I don't know how accurate it was, but in my brain, it, it just brought me back to uh, being like seven or eight years old and watching MTV, and I remember... I remember my favorite music video at the time was Nothing Is Gonna Stop Me Now. I don't even remember the band name, but it, it was from the Mannequin soundtrack. I remember that much. But tell me about your, your visual aesthetic for, for your music videos. I think it's really important to have a visual, you know, vis- video aspect to music projects, especially if you're playing live, just so there's that connection with the audience. In a weird way, it's like you get to be the movie star now or something. You know, they remember you and they know what you look like and how you perform and how you and they know your mannerisms. And it's, it, you become recognizable. You see it and you say, I want to see that live. Yeah, I think the, the entire video aspect is, is really important to us. But um, I suppose that idea isn't as marketable as Jersey Shore. I do love Jersey Shore, by the way, just for the record. I think we both do. <laughs> Is that is that still around? I feel like I haven't heard about those guys in a while. Uh, there was a reboot like a few years ago. There's a reboot. They did a Jersey Shore reunion, which I actually it was it was just as good. Um, uh, God, it was. They all changed the. Uh, they changed the, their way. They changed their way. Like, uh, what's his name? The situation is uh, is sober now. He he's replaced his drinking habits with snacking, so he always has like a snack in his hand uh, while the others are getting trashed, and uh, he's he's battling uh, potential prison time. I wasn't I'm not sure if he was actually wound up being incarcerated for like tax evasion or something, but that was a big theme in the th- in the show. So it was just like drama filled. It was <laughs> it was like really really kind of intense at times, but you get down with some trash reality tv i never understand the tax evasion thing don't they don't they have people that's supposed to take care of the money stuff for them you'd think so i mean that kind of thing scares the living shit out of me you know winding up going to tax prison or for something crazy like that you know that's the, that's the those are the things of nightmares you know the first the first thing i'm doing after i you know stop working a minimum wage job is hiring an accountant but I guess the alternative is if you don't really understand it, then the accountant can steal the money from you anyway, and then you don't know until it's too late. So that's that's also true. Uh, continuing with your aesthetic, like I don't know if this is weird, but like your your hair is just so perfect, and it's just <laughs> it's just visually striking. So uh, I'm wondering if you've gotten to the point yet where are the fans dressing up as you yet? And if not, I feel like you should sell wigs with your merch area so that people can put them on 
and just be it's like a part of the show well that's a that's a that's a really interesting idea you know but hannah and i often joke about how we should sell like some bizarre merch items like like lipstick or something I, i'm just trying to think of the next things we wigs are that's interesting but um i think for now we'll just stick to the shirts and paper goods um but you know i, I suppose i suppose people can make their own wingtips costumes if they wish I should say co- I should say costumes encouraged 100%. You know. <laughs> I hope all your fans are listening to this right now and they show up in force. You get the high-waisted pants and wacky hair and jackets. <laughs> so you guys are going to be playing Friday night. You get Nitzer Ebb and that is that is a very impressive lineup. Uh, I was just wondering since you guys were locals had you been to any of the other shows the past seven years i guess now it's been yes uh we've both been the past two years and we've become close with many many of the people involved behind the scenes um oh and i always make it a point to have have cold waves be a be like my de facto birthday party because it always falls on the same weekend but yeah we're really excited to be sharing the same day as nitzareb as uh, as well as light asylum we uh, played a show with Shannon a few months back in Minneapolis. Uh, this was our, this was with our other project, Visceral Anatomy. But yeah, what a great person! And uh, I've also met Daniel from How Job, and uh, I'm excited to see them as, as well as Clack. I think Friday's a good day, really good day. And but I'm, I'm really excited for the whole fest. It's a, jeez, it's a monster this year. That don't leave your head Watch 
On this episode, you heard Last Minute, Death Pursuit, and Relativity. Wingtips can be found at wingtips.bandcamp.com. Their debut full-length exposure therapy will be available August 23rd on Artifact Records. Our opening music is Madmaker by Accumination. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to this show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Luis and Joel from Twin Tribes. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, Jamie Duffy. Here's Jim Simonic sharing his Jamie story. You know, I would like to start basically at when Jamie was doing sound for Pigface on the um, United tour, which would have been 2003. And uh, my band at the time, Forced, uh, who became reinforced later, was uh, chosen to open for that show. It was uh, the best we ever sounded. I'll, I'll say that much um, because Jamie did our sound that night. And I don't know if that was standard operating procedure for Jamie to do the sound of the openers. But he was there with Jeff Jones, uh, the sound man, the house sound guy at Laga. And Jamie was with him and he actually did our sound that night. And I didn't realize that until actually I left the stage. And uh, we had a four song set that night. And they were like, yeah, we can give, you know, the the two opening bands 20 minutes each. And I was like, okay, that's four songs. So let's, you know, make them the best four songs. Because like, at that point, the band was undergoing a shift. Like we, a big member change. And so this was like our last show as, as forced and before we became reinforced. And uh, having Jamie behind the desk, like it was, it was just a, a rough time in my life then my dad was was really sick and this was a few weeks before he passed away i remember coming off the stage that night having just like an overwhelming response from the crowd that night it was it was pigface was you know 600 people was one of the biggest crowds i ever played to you know coming off of the the stage that night and running into jamie later and he was like what did you think of the sound he was like that was me back there and i was like what i was like really i was like no wonder we sounded so amazing he was like did you like the stuff i did with with your your vocals and i was like hell yeah i did i was like that was so awesome i don't know i have a you know such an affection for that that guy that every time i i saw him or talked to him i i feel like i connected with him on a lot of different levels like more than just like a hey man good to see you it was it was more more personal than that that was one of the stories that stands out is when he did our sound for my final you know show is that you know was my first band